From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, repeating intravitreal triamcinolone injections for diabetic macular edema. The advantage of the high dosage is, however, that the effect, that means the increase in visual acuity, will last longer so that repeated injections will not be as often necessary as if one uses a low dosage. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Yost Jonas declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Do you enjoy the programs you hear in this podcast? Why not contribute to the conversation by calling our listener response lines? Share your expertise about an issue we've discussed by calling. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. That's a local New York number. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275. That's a local London number. You can also ask questions of any guest who has appeared on the podcast. Then your question will be relayed to the guest, and your question and the guest's answer will appear on the following podcast. Go ahead. Try it out. It's cool. Intravitreal administration of medication has proved valuable in many clinical contexts. However, whether the medication is an anti-VEGF agent or a steroid like triamcinolone, the duration of effect is always limited. The obvious question arises, what if we give it again? Some medications can exhibit a diminution of effect on repeated administration. We call this tachyphylaxis. Joost Jonas has published many papers on intravitreal triamcinolone. I'm happy to have him back today to tell us about his latest study on readministration of triamcinolone for diabetic macular edema. Joost, can I have you review the applications for intravitreal triamcinolone? With the upcoming era of Avastin or Lucentis, I think that intravitreal triamcinolone as monotherapy for exudative age-related, age-related macular degenerations may be more or less outdated. However, in my opinion, intravitreal triamcinolone may still have a place for the treatment of macular edema due to other reasons, particular due to ischemic retinopathies like diabetic retinopathy or uh, vein, retinal vein occlusions. The reason why one may perhaps a bit cautious with the use of Avastin or Lucentis in the treatment of the ischemic retinopathies is that these anti-VEGF drugs may completely block the VEGF production and a certain concentration of VEGF may theoretically be necessary for the survival of the retina. And if there's a primarily ischemic retinopathy, then adding an anti-VEGF drug, one may perhaps partially increase the ischemia without uh, noting it at the first glance. Therefore, at least up to this moment, Triamcinolone may still be an alternative to the anti-VEGF drugs in the treatment of macular edema due to ischemic retinopathies. When you say a certain amount of VEGF is required for the health of the retina, uh, I assume what you're talking about is the sense that uh, a certain 
amount of VEGF is required for the health of the choriocapillaris? Um, I'm not a specialist in that field. Uh, it may be that a certain VEGF level may be necessary for the choriocapillaries and or for the retina. And an increased production of VEGF is a response of the retina due to ischemia. This increased production may at least at the first level be a good response to a disease. And if one now blocks the physiological response of the body by giving an anti-VEGF drug, uh, one may not be quite sure whether this may not increase the ischemic damage. And because this is not quite sure, one may still consider using trimcinolone instead of the anti-VEGF drugs for ischemic retinopathies. For the applications for which intravitreal triamcinolone has been employed, what, what are the doses of intravitreal triamcinolone that people have been using? There have been two dosages applied for treatment of diabetic maculoedema concerning triamcinolone. Most clinical centers use a dosage of 4 milligram triamcinolone, and we have been using just from the beginning a dosage of about 20 milligram. This is about five times higher than the dosage used by the others. The reason why we took the high dosage was because at the beginning we were not quite sure what might be the best dosage and uh, that was the reason why we took the 20 milligram at the first patient and then continued. It may be that the amount of side effects and that the number of side effects may be more or less independent of the dosage used. However, the duration of the side effects, particularly the rise in intraocular pressure, is strongly correlated with the dosage used. With other words, the risk to get increased intraocular pressure may be more or less the same if one uses 4 milligram or 20 milligram. However, the risk to get a long rise in IOP will be much higher if one uses a larger dosage. From what's been published previously, what is the duration of action of intravitreal triamcinolone? In a dosage of 20 milligrams, the duration of action and the duration of the side effects is about six to eight months. Looking into the literature, the duration of the dosage of about four milligrams is something between two to four months in relation to the effect and in relation to the side effects. Now, considering that the high dosage has a longer duration of the positive effect, one may also conclude that the high dosage has a lower risk of infection because the infection may be due to the injection itself and not to the uh, amount of the dosage. And if the dosage is high, the number of free ejections may be low, and so that also the risk of infection may be lower with a high dosage. Now, we think we know how anti-VEGF agents work in terms of edema in the sense that VEGF is a potent vascular permeability factor. Uh, how do we think that triamcinolone addresses edema? I'm not a specialist in that field, but as far as I know, one thinks that the vessel walls are tightened uh, so that there's less leakage. And it may be that the anti-edematous effect by triamcinolone as steroid may be higher than the anti-edematous effect by anti-VEGF drugs. But this is a, a, is a personal communication, and I think that has not been really compared yet. Just can I have you describe the design of the study? Yes. Uh, the study included all patients presenting with diffuse diabetic macular edema, not eligible to focal agonizer treatment. And uh, we took all those patients who had 
who had received a repeated injection of uh, intravitreal trimcinolone in a dosage of about 20 milligrams. And there were 22 eyes of 19 patients. The second injection was performed about 10 months after the first injection. There was a control group consisting of 31 patients with diffuse diabetic macular without any treatment during follow-up. And we measured intraocular pressure and visual acuity and compared the response after the second injection with the response after the first injection and compared it with the visual acuity measurements in the control group. And there was a third treatment too? Yes, uh, some, some patients even got a third injection and the third injection uh, was performed again almost 10 months after the second injections. Four patients received the third injection. Can I have you describe the demographics of the subjects of the study? The study group of the patients who received a repeated intravitreal injection of triamcinolone was composed of 19 subjects. There were 17 women and 12 white eyes out of altogether 22 eyes. The mean age was 60 years with a range of about 29 to 81 years. The median was 68 years and the refractive error ranged between minus one diopter to plus four diopters. The mean refractive error was plus 0.5 diopters. The intraocular pressure was normal at baseline, and the visual acuity at baseline was measured in Snellen, on Snellen charts 0.14. That is about 220, a bit better than 220. How did you determine who would be in the control group? As a control group were patients uh, who presented with the same disease but who had refused the treatment and that was the reason why we followed them up. They were not eligible for focal laser treatment and we do not do crit laser treatment because for crit laser treatment of the macula, we think they are not really hard scientific data and therefore we just observed them. Did the two groups differ in terms of pathology or in other ways? Um, were there any factors that influenced whether someone opted for an intravitreal injection that would have made the two groups different? No. The main reason is, was that the patients did not, did not want to get an injection into their eye. Uh, that was the main reason. There was no other clear difference between the two groups. But it was not a randomized study. That was, of course, a certain flaw in the design of the study. But again, the study group and the control group did not differ markedly in any parameter. What was the duration of follow-up? The duration of follow-up in the um, study group was, again, about 10 months after the first injection, because after 10 months there was a second injection. And after the second injection, the follow-up was uh, 7.9 months. I fell up after the third injection was 7.9 months. Can you walk me through the preparation of the triamcinolone? Uh, triamcinolone is delivered as a Canalog in US or as a Volon A in Germany. It is a suspension of triamcinolone acetonide crystals with some preservative. These preservatives contain benzoyl alcohol and some other substances. And one is not quite sure whether these substances may or may not be toxic to the interior parts of the eye. Therefore, at least some centers have decided to remove the, the benzoyl alcohol and the substances from the triamcinolone crystals. Either this, is, this procedure is done in our pharmacy or we do it ourselves. That means we take a five micrometer millipore filter 
Uh, first of all, we shake the bottle containing a 40 milligram time cinnalone in one milliliter. Then we take out about 0.6 milliliters, which is about 24 milligram. Uh, we put it into a one milliliter tubercolin syringe, put a five micrometer millipore filter on top of the syringe, and press the content uh, through the filter, leaving 0.2 milliliters in the syringe itself. Then we take Ringer solution and fill up the syringe again to one milliliter, and we repeat this filtering process three times. At the end, we have 0.2 milliliters solution containing the triamcinolone crystals, and then we add a 27-gauge needle, and then we inject it into the eye. According to some studies, this final solution contains something like 20 or 22, 23 milligram times cinnalone. The disadvantage of the filtering process is that there is some inaccuracy in the final dosage delivered. The advantage may be that, uh, that almost no benzoyl alcohol will be injected into the eye, and this may perhaps be the reason why a toxic anosomitis has only rarely been observed if the filtering process has been applied. How did you establish when the second treatment would be done or when the third treatment would be done? Only those patients who had shown an improvement in visual acuity and a decline again were candidates for a second or third injection. That means those patients who had not improved in vision were not a candidate for repeated injections, but all patients who had improved in vision and had declined after the trimcinone crystals had resolved, these were uh, candidates for a second or third injection. And again, the duration of the visual acuity improvement was something like six to eight months. This explains why the second injection was performed about 10 months after the first injection. Can you describe how the injections were given and where they were given, whether they were done in the exam lane uh, or in a, an operating room? We consider the intravitreal injection of uh, drugs as any intraocular surgical intervention. That means the injection is performed in the operation theater under sterile conditions. The patient is completely trained. The conjunctiva is sterilized by povidone iodine. Um, lead speculum is used and the surgeon is completely washed as for vitrectomy or cataract surgery. The uh, injection is therefore performed under sterile conditions in topical anesthesia. In the first step, we do a paracentesis at the temporal limbus and remove some aqueous humor out of the anterior chamber to decrease the intraocular volume to make enough space for the injection of about 0.2 milliliters of the triamcinolone solution. Then we take the, after having performed the paracentesis and having partially emptied the anterior chamber, then we take the 27-gauge needle and inject the triamcinolone through the conjunctiva, through the sclera, in the inferior temporal quadrant into the center of the vitreous in a distance of about 3.5 milliliters to the limbus. What were the results of the study? As inclusion criteria, there was a significant increase in visual acuity after the first injection. This was inclusion criteria for the, uh, for the inclusion into the study. After the second injection and after the third injection, again, there was a statistically significant improvement in visual acuity by about two sneller lines and about four sneller lines after the second and third inject, uh, injection, respectively. Concerning in figures, 
uh, 11 eyes or 50% showed an improvement in visual acuity by at least two Sneller lines after the second injection. And three patients or 75%, but there are too, many, too few patients who talk in percentage. It means three, three out of four patients experienced a gain in visual acuity by at least two Sneller lines after the third injection. The intraocular pressure increased significantly uh, after each injection and returned to baseline values before each re-injection. So that's the conclusion was that after re-injections tri uh, of triamcinolone, visual acuity may again uh, re-improve in patients with uh, diffuse diabetic macroedema, and in a similar manner, also IOP may show a, a rise after second and third injection similar to the IOP behavior after the first injection. A taraphylactic effect in, uh, in visual acuity or intraocular pressure was not observed in this study. How did the control group do during this study period? In the control group, the visual acuity at baseline and at any time during the follow-up did not vary significantly. So that also the last examination of the follow-up compared with the baseline examination also did not vary significantly. In, in a parallel way, also the intraocular pressure did not change in the control group. And now comparing the control group with the study group showed a significant difference. That means in the study group there was a significant increase, while, while in the control group there was no change in visual acuity. For the study group, the improvement in acuity after the second treatment was not quite as great as it was after the, the first treatment. Granted, it was still statistically significantly better than, than baseline. It, it was not quite as high as it was for the first treatment. Is that right? Exactly. After the first improvement, it was 3.2 Snellen lines. And after the second, it was 1.8 Snellen lines. But the change in visual acuity after the first injection did not vary significantly from the change in visual acuity after the second injection. The p-value was 0.08. So that the conclusion was that there was no marked difference in the visual acuity improvement after the first or second injection. For those patients who went on to a third treatment, the improvement with the third treatment was, was larger, was comparable to what it was for the first treatment. Yes, after the third injection, the mean improvement was four Snellen lines. But again, these were only four eyes, and this group is too small to really com make it comparable with the uh, other study groups. Were the patients, for the most part, pseudophagic? Uh, and, and if not, did the treatment group show signs of development of cataract? A less than... 50%, I think, were pseudophagic. That means that uh, there was some development of cataract during the follow-up, and this development of cataract might have hidden some visual acuity improvement by the triamcinolone. During, uh, during the study, during the follow-up, there was no cataract surgery performed. That was an uh, inclusion criteria. Meaning that if any of the patients in the treatment group, in the triamcinolone group, developed cataracts, that the visual degradation resulting from the cataract would, if anything, have masked some of the improvement uh, that the triamcinolone would have yielded in visual acuity. Exactly. The fact that cataract might have increased during the follow-up due to the intravitreal triamcinolone may only serve to underline the results of the study that intravitreal triamcinolone improves the macular conditions 
and improves visual acuity by uh, by decreasing macular edema in diabetes. And these visual acuity improvement by trimcinolone might partially have been hidden by the increase in cataract. What sort of intraocular pressure management did the study patients require? Could you manage them all just with a topical medication? Yes, in that study, all patients were managed just by topical anticlocomatous drops. If the, pressions, if the intraocular pressure was higher than, let's say, about 25 millimeter mercury, one usually started with a topical beta blocker. And if that was not sufficient, uh, one added a prostaglandin derivate. Usually, this combination was sufficient to treat increased intraocular pressure. Besides intraocular pressure and cataracts, did you observe any untoward events? No, we have not observed it. In that study, we didn't observe any other side effect. And in the whole group of patients who have received individual trimcinolone in the last six years, and these have been more than 1,500 injections so far, we have not seen yet a rectmotogenous detachment. We have not had yet an infection, infectious anosomitis after trimcinolone, and we have not yet seen... Um, let's say, toxic reaction of CI due to the intravitreal injection. I just want to stress something that you said earlier, which is that one of your conclusions uh, is, is that there's no evidence of any tachyphylaxis, either in the uh, benefit that the triamcinolone had on visual acuity uh, or on the increase in intraocular pressure. The finding or the conclusion that there was no marked tachyphylaxia may support the hypothesis that the intravitreal trimcinolone may not be markedly toxic to the intraocular structures of the eye because otherwise after repeated injections, particularly after the repeated high dosage injections, one would have expected a decrease in visual acuity and perhaps also a decreasing intraocular pressure because one knows if there's some toxicity in the eye, the ciliary body may decrease its function in producing aqueous humor. And the fact that there was no marked change in IOP baseline compared to the end of the follow-up and that there was no decrease in visual acuity despite repeated injections of high-dosage intravitreal trimcinolone may serve to conclude or to yes, to think that the intravitreal trimcinolone may not be extremely toxic. Now, I'm going to ask you to speculate. What do you think would have been different if you had used a 4 milligram dose of trimcinolone as opposed to the 20 milligram dose that you used? I think concerning the effect, that means the increase in visual acuity, I guess there would not have been much difference compared to the 20 milligram. And Concerning the rate of an elevated intraocular pressure, again, the number of patients with high IOP might not have been markedly different if we had used 4 milligram instead of 20 milligram. The difference, however, will have been that the duration of the effect might have been considerably lower. In the study on the high dosage, uh, there was a duration of, the duration of the effect was about six to eight months. And uh, looking uh, into studies using a dosage of 4 milligram, the duration of the effect is something between 2 to 4 months. So that with a lower dosage, probably the number of free injections would have been doubled. This, however, is just a guess. There's one uh, comparative study, a randomized comparative study 
comparing dosages of 2.5 milligram, uh, 4 milligram, and 13 milligram trimethylamine injected. And there was a clear relationship. The higher the dosage, the longer was the duration of the effect of trimethylamine. Now, in your own practice, outside of the context of a study, how do you manage patients like this, patients with diabetic macular edema? If it's a focal edema, fulfilling the criteria of the ETDIS study, we clearly do uh, focal argon laser treatment of the retina because this is evidence-based medicine. If there's diffuse diabetic macular edema where no clear guidelines may exist on an evidence-based medicine level, then we would inject triamcinolone, but not in the first step. First, we would talk to the patient, explain him or her the importance of the quality of the metabolic control, ask the patient for the HbA1c level, and if the level is high, we first would try to push the patient to have a better metabolic control. If that is not possible, or if the HbA1c level is considerably low, then we would suggest the intravitreal injection. Joost, any final thoughts? You know, I think the main messages would be that for exudative AMD, a monotherapy with intravitreal trimethylone may no longer be first-line treatment in the upcoming era of anti-VEGF drugs, including Lucentis, Avastine, and Mycogen. In patients with an ischemic retinopathy leading to macular edema, one may perhaps a bit be cautious with the use of anti-VEGF drugs because there may not be clear data which show that the use of anti-VEGF drugs do not increase ischemia in these already ischemic retinas. This is a personal point of view, but studies still have to show that the anti-VEGF drugs can really be used for macular edema in ischemic retinopathies. These diseases, particularly diabetic macular edema, may still be candidates for intravitreal triamcinolone. If one uses triamcinolone, one may choose between a dosage of 4 mg and a higher dosage of about 20 mg. The higher dosage has a disadvantage that the Ryzen IOP may last longer than if one uses a lower dosage. The advantage of the high dosage is, however, that the effect, that means the increase in visual acuity, will last longer so that repeated injections will not be as often necessary as if one uses a low dosage. That means an advantage in the rate of infectious anosomitis because the infection may increase with the number of injections and may not increase with the amount of uh, triamcinolone injected. Joost, thank you very much. Oh, it's a pleasure for me. Bye. Joost Jonas is chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at the Faculty of Clinical Medicine Mannheim of the University of Heidelberg. His paper, Repeated Intravitreal High-Dose Injections of Triamcinolone Acetonide for Diffuse Diabetic Macular Edema, was in press in ophthalmology at the time of this recording. Ask questions of Dr. Jonas or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 
646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.